Hello, hello. How are we, everybody? Good, good, good. It is so good to see your faces. My name is Matt. It is a privilege to get to be with you here tonight uh, and just launch this time in this very odd week where somehow we experience like all four seasons in about an eight-day stretch. How is that literally possible, right? Only in Arkansas, only in Arkansas. Hey, uh, just a couple of announcements to get us going. On your way in, I hope you had the chance to grab a communion packet. We, at the end of the service, are going to be taking communion. Uh, if you're at home right now, we are welcoming you. We're glad you're here. Everybody pick someone on the couch right now to run to the kitchen. Go get a piece of bread and a uh, glass of juice because we want you to participate. Baptism is where one becomes a part of many. And communion, what we're celebrating tonight, is where many come together and celebrate being one in Christ as a church. Uh, hey, we've been talking the last couple of weeks and updating you on the adventure that God is opening the door for Mosaic to be sending Samaritan Rogers and Samaritan Springdale. If you have any questions, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, last week we did a creating space and we just opened the door for conversation and questions. I want to encourage you, if you didn't see it, go back and check it out. I think it was really valuable. We got to hear from our elders and some of the people that are getting to be involved. Uh, it was a really sweet time. Big news, and I think you're going to be excited, especially if you call yourself a kid. Any kids in the room that call themselves kids? Literally very little. Guess what, kids? Put your hands in the air, kids. I have good news. Guess what? Next week, kids' services are back. Literally bouncing in the chairs, both parents and kids. We are so excited to welcome back families that are coming back. And kids, your services are going to be open. But parents, pay attention. This is really important. Please, oh please, go to mosaicnwa.org news because there's a lot of details to us doing it right. Everything from RSVPs to kind of even different room assignments to make spacing possible. Go to the QR code. Go to Mosaic NWA. Also, if you're wondering, man, how could I bless or serve or be a part of just loving well, uh, the, the, the kids team, the student team, they are looking for help to go from like not having kids classes for a year to opening up as many as humanly possible within an RSVP and kind of quarantine limits. So if you want to jump in and be a part of serving first service, we would love to have you get in touch with our family team if you can. Uh, the Psalms, they say, revive me again, O Lord, by your word. I have a question. How many of you through this time of teaching Joshua have felt your soul revived? Week after week coming, just hearing, I feel like God and I, we're, we're, we're like playing telephone together. He has had a voice into my spirit through this time of Joshua. If you've not been with us, chapter one, we introduce Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Chapter two, we meet Rahab with the stories of the spies. Chapter three and four, they come to the river. We see a new people who are waiting, who are following, who are seeking, who are patiently watching God work as they cross the river into the promised land. Chapter five and six, we see their preparation and their very odd strategy of taking Jericho. Sending the message, God is in control and does it his way. That's where we were last week. This week, Joshua 7, chapter 1, 
I'm sorry, chapter 7, verse 1, finishes with the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. Why? Because of sin. Because of sin, because they took the devoted things, they hid the devoted things. And so we're going to transition into just this big, theological, yet very personal topic about going against God's way, God's best way, by doing things our way and living in sin and how God calls us back from that. So as we start our time, can you close your eyes for a moment? Close your eyes and take some just inner spiritual soul space to to set your affections upon the Lord. Whenever there's an introduction that says we're going to talk about sin, I know that I squirm in my seat, but, but I also know and believe God calls us, he rescues us, he repairs us out of that sin. And so God, as we're here, we just know that you have a plan and you have a purpose. And even in tonight's purpose of meeting us, meeting us in our sin, Showing us again the way to salvation through repentance, through rest, through turning from our sin and turning back to you. And it's because of that, God, that we can even be here to pray, to listen to your word, and to sing. So as a statement of amen, will you stand with me? Will you stand with me and lift your voices to a God who forgives sins and sets his people free?
Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is
and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Not a him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. See ya. trials or joys or mountaintops or valleys we find ourselves in, may we not lose the wonder of a God whose mercy would extend so deep into the grave and pull us out to give us new life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Mosaic, you may be seated. I'm going to be reading through Joshua 7. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimrah, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. So about 3,000 went up, but they were rooted by the men of Ai, who was killed by 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as, as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the, on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Then Josiah tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground. Sorry, Joshua, my bad. Tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded to them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes, and Judah was chosen. The clans of Judah came forward, and the Zerahites were chosen. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families, and Zimri was chosen. Joshua had his family come forward by man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was chosen. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, it is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. 
They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So a man went to church one time, one day without his wife because she was uh, ill and not able to go. So before he left, she called him in and said, now I want you to listen really carefully to the sermon because I want to know what the preacher has to say. So he goes to church and he comes back and she says, all right, so what did the preacher talk about? And the guy said, talked about sin. Just stood there and she said, well, what did he say about it? And he said, well, apparently God's against it. So if you want to know the summary of my sermon tonight, I'm going to talk about sin and God's against it. Okay? So if you heard the, uh, the story of Achan, as, it was, as we read through that, just um, that's where we're going to be in Joshua chapter 7. On a more serious note, I was reading recently uh, about a man who had passed away, and after his death, um, it became evident that he had had a decades-long practice of immoral behavior. And uh, some of those that were even closest to him swore they had no idea that this was going on. And three things came to my mind as, as I read that story. Three things came to mind. Uh, first, the ripple effect of the collateral damage of sin. From the people that were involved in this immoral behavior with him to the family that he betrayed, he was a leader in ministry, and so all those that were supporters and workers with him in ministry to his Lord and Savior. The collateral damage, the ripple effect of sin. The second thing that stood out to me as I thought about this, how could someone who seemed to be so completely devoted to following Jesus fall so deeply into the pit of darkness that this man had found himself in. And then the third thing, and listen to this closely. The third thought that came to me is, his story could be my story. His story could be your story. So we're gonna talk about Achan, and we're gonna talk about Achan's sin and what happened to Achan. And if you walk out of here thinking, well, that Achan was a really bad guy, I'm sure glad I'm not like Achan. You've missed the point. His story is our story. So as we continue to explore the story of God's people in the book of Joshua, we come to one of the darkest moments in the whole book. These two chapters, chapter seven and eight, are, are the darkest, probably the darkest piece of the entire book of Joshua. In fact, of all the battles that are, we're told about in Joshua, this is the only defeat that is mentioned. The defeat at the little town of Ai is the only one that's even mentioned in the entire book. 
So I would say if that's the case, if this is the only one, then we probably ought to sit up and take notice. What is it that God wants us to learn from this? It begins with this ominous statement in in, uh, chapter 7 and verse 1 that Matt kind of brought us uh, into, uh, where he says that people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. And then it closes with this statement at the end, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. So let me summarize the rest of chapter 7 very quickly for us, because I think it it gives us context. After conquering Jericho, and that was just this great experience of of just the incredible power of God. After conquering Jericho, the Israelite army sets its sights on the next walled city over. And so they they turn, and and just to the north and probably a little bit to the the west, I believe, is a little town called Ai, A-I. And so they go, they look at, you know, we're headed there. And uh, so Joshua sends out his recon team. They go out and do reconnaissance. They come back and said, it is a very small city. We don't need to send the whole army. That's just a really long march for everybody. Just send a small band and we'll be good. And so Joshua sends 3,000 men to uh, attack the city of Ai. They get to the gates And the soldiers of Ai actually begin to beat them, and they chase them out. And when the smoke clears, there are 36 Israelite soldiers dead. Now remember, nobody, not one casualty on the Israelite side in Jericho. And now 36 dead soldiers. Joshua falls on his face and cries out to the Lord in confusion and grief. And he said, God, why would you bring us all the way to the promised land just to let us die here? And God responds by saying, Joshua, get up. Get off your face. There's sin in the camp and we have to deal with it. So the next day, they go through the the people, tribe, clan, household. Every tribe, and then they identified one tribe, and then every clan, and then break it down, and they identified one clan, one household, and they identified one man, and it's Achan. And Joshua confronts him and says, Achan, tell me what happened. And Achan confesses that he's taken some gold, some silver, and a Babylonian garment, and he's hid them in his tent. These items were retrieved. Then Achan and his family were executed. All the stuff that had belonged to Achan was brought. They were piled there and they were burned and they were covered up with stones. And that's the story that we're going to be walking through tonight. So what can we learn from Achan and his sin? First of all, we can learn about the progression into sin. Uh, in verses 20 and 21, when Achan tells his story, he, th- this is what he says. I've sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, or Babylonia, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them, and see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So there's this progression. If we go back to Genesis... Chapter 3, we're in the garden. There's a serpent, there's Adam, and there's Eve, and there's a tree. And here's how that story unfolds. 
When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. They knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together, made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Several hundred years later, after Joshua, in the book of uh, 2 Samuel, verse 11, or chapter 11, we read about King David's great failure. And here's how it's described. He saw Bathsheba, he desired her, he took her, and then he used deceit and eventually betrayal and murder to hide his sin. The progression of sin is always the same. Notice the common pattern. Saw, desired, took, hid. Now to help you remember these, this progression of sin, I've actually come up with four words that all start with L. So you can just kind of just walk yourself through this. First of all, the look. I saw. Note that Achan was not somewhere he shouldn't have been doing something he shouldn't have been doing. Sometimes we walk into sin because we invite ourselves into it. We put ourselves in places we don't belong, doing things we shouldn't be doing. That's not the case with Achan. In fact, Achan was actually in the middle of obeying God. He was part of the army of Israel, destroying and attacking and destroying Jericho. He was doing what God called him to do, and suddenly he found himself surrounded by things that he noticed. I saw. Don't think that because you're doing the right things, that you're following the Lord, that you're, you've got the disciplines of, of, of spending time with the Lord and, and focusing on his word, don't think that that's going to remove temptation from your life. If you have a pulse and you are conscious, you can be tempted. And we need to be aware that temptation is all, the opportunity for temptation is always, always around us. And so he saw something. To be tempted is not a sin, okay? I want, I want you to get that straight. To be tempted is not a sin. In fact, in James chapter one, it says every person is tempted when they're drawn away of their own desires. We have desires that God put in us. And to be tempted is not a sin. But then we come to the next step. We go from the look to the lust. He says, I coveted these things. I saw them and I coveted them. Whenever this word is translated coveted, it means to want something that is forbidden, to want something that's not yours, that you're not allowed to have. So in the Ten Commandments, we're told not to covet. Don't covet this belonging to somebody else. Don't covet this belonging to somebody else because it's not ours. It's not ours to have. So to want a piece of fruit, in Adam and Eve's case, or clothing or silver or gold, in Achan's case, is not in itself wrong. To want that is not wrong. It's when we start wanting what we know is forbidden to us that we've moved into the sinful area. We're coveting. For Achan, 
He knew before he ever went into Jericho that everything he saw was forbidden to him. God made that clear. Before they ever went into Jericho, he said, listen, everything in there is not yours. Don't touch it. It's not yours. So when he went in, he knew that whatever he saw, he couldn't have. But he began to entertain the idea, what would it be like if I had that Babylonian garment? What would it be like if, if I had that silver or that gold? How would my life be different? How would it benefit me? How would it be a good thing? How could I enjoy these things? He began to entertain the thoughts. And he moved from just the temptation. I saw it and, and it looked attractive to me to beginning to entertain the thoughts. That's when he crossed the line from finding these things attractive into coveting them. Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount that every sinful action begins with our thoughts. And he said, you've heard it said that you shall not do this, but I'm telling you that if you even think about it, you dwell on it, that's where it begins. Whether it's lust or hatred, those are the things he says when you dwell on them, that's, that's where sin begins. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in verse um, in 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, uh, he tells us that, that the battleground with sin is in our minds and that we have to learn to take our thoughts captive rather than to being captive to our thoughts. So we have the look and we have the lust and then we have the leap. I took it. I saw it. I wanted it. I took it. I saw it, I wanted it, I took it. Happens all the time. You, you can probably start going through times in your life. I saw it, I wanted it, I took it. The leap. Achan didn't somehow, follow me here, Achan didn't somehow fall into his sin. He didn't stumble into his sin. Eyes wide open, conscious of what he was doing, knowing God had said no, he went and picked it up anyway. I took it. I took the garment, I took the gold, I took the silver, I wrapped it all up, I hid it, and I took it with me. We can't excuse our sin by calling it a mistake. And if you look at the things that you do wrong and you start using words, well, you know, I made a mistake. No, you sinned. I sinned. Let's call it what it is. It's not a mistake. It's not a lapse in judgment or a moment of weakness. We have to own the fact that we choose to sin. We choose it. And we can't deal with it until we own it. And as long as you try to excuse it and explain it away, you'll never truly deal with your sin. Paul tells us every temptation that we fall into has a promise attached to it. You know what that promise is? A way out. No temptation has taken you except what is common. And God is faithful and won't let you be tempted above what you're able to bear. And will, with the temptation, will make a way of escape. That's a promise from God's word. 
So every temptation that you fall into, you fall into because you chose to not take the way of escape. Achan could have said, not mine, and backed away. There were probably a hundred different ways he could have stopped what he was doing, but he didn't. So we have the look, we have the lust, we have the leap, and it always ends in the lie. And then I hid it. Achan's immediate response to his sinful choice was to hide it. Adam and Eve's immediate response to their sin was to try to hide. They tried to hide behind fig leaves. They tried to hide in the trees. They didn't want God to see that they had sinned. David tried to cover up his sin with Bathsheba, but the truth is our sin will always find a way to make itself known. The scripture says, be sure your sin will always find you out. Nothing is hidden from God, and no matter how hard we try to cover it, our efforts are inadequate. So the first thing we learn from Achan and his sin is the progression into sin, how we get there and where it takes us. The second thing we can learn from Achan and his sin is we learn about the consequences of sin. The end of verse 1 should grab our attention when it says God's anger burned against the people of Israel. It burned against the sin. To understand the consequences of sin, uh, we have to first get a clear picture of God's righteousness. His absolute holiness is described as a consuming fire. And so he has this, this righteousness. It's like a consuming fire towards sin. It's described elsewhere as wrath or anger or judgment or a curse. God has a settled disposition towards sin. He always, always, always feels the same way towards sin. And that settled disposition condemns sin and judges it. So whenever we step into sin, it's not like our sin really ticks God off and makes him mad. And so then he lashes out at us. Sometimes when it talks about the wrath of God, it seems like that's what it's describing. But the reality is this is how it works. God is always judging sin. And when we step into sin, we are stepping into the judgment of God. And so... In this instance, God had declared that the stuff of Jericho should be destroyed. So when Achan took it, he stepped into what? Destruction. When he took this, he was taking destruction with him into his tent. He took it into his home. And the consequences of that choice, the consequences of that sin brought destruction and death. The Bible makes it clear in Romans chapter 6, 23 and James 1, 14 and 15 that the end result of sin is always death. The wages of sin is death. Sin, when it is finished, when it is, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Not every sin is going to lead you and your family to being stoned and your whole household being born, burned. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is sin always leads to, results in, and brings about death of some sort. In our story, the consequences of, the, of Achan's sin, separation from God, 
removal of his protection for the entire army of Israel. Punishment. Sin brought all of that. Those are the consequences of sin. And these consequences of sin always have a ripple effect. They don't just stop with the one who does the sin. One person, we'd love to believe that sin only affects us, but that's not true. This is just me. This is just my private, secret sin. It's not hurting anybody but me. That's a lie right straight out of hell. Sin, ripple effects. So, it has effects on you. And we see Achan's judgment. Each one of us is held responsible for what we do or don't do, for our actions and our inactions. We're held responsible for God, before God, for our sin. But it also has consequences for those closest to you. Achan's immediate family suffered from his sin. He brought judgment and destruction to his family. Even his extended family was subjected to the dishonor of the process of finding the sin. Can you imagine this tribe being singled out? Hey, the sin's in there. This clan out of this tribe, hey, the sin's in there. This family out of the, out of the tribe, out of the clan, the sin's in there. And this tent, the sin's in there. The shame, the dishonor that came on his family those closest to you will always, and they may have no idea why or what is going on, but they will always feel the consequences of your choices to sin. And then even for the ripple to go out to your community, the 36 men who died in battle, 36 men and their families Families who lost a husband or a father or brother or an uncle or a son. The ripple effect goes out. The whole nation felt the effect of Achan's sin. Don't be the Achan in the camp. My sin is not just going to stay with me. It's going to ripple out. That's another lesson we can learn about the consequences of sin. So our story ends with the death of Achan and his family. Don't miss the significance of the picture. We don't have time to go back and read it, but so let me just take my word for it, go back and read it. When Jericho was destroyed, you know what they did? They covered it all up and set it on fire. When judgment came on Achan, what did they do? They covered them all up and set them on fire and put a heap of stones as a memorial on top of them. Achan walked into the judgment of Jericho. Sin is worse than we, than we, than we think it is. The, uh, the Puritans used to use a phrase that they, that they took out of the, uh, the King James Version uh, in, in the book of Romans. It talks about the exceeding sinfulness of sin. 
And we try, to, we try to dress sin up and make it look better than what it is, and it's not really all that bad. And, and, you know, like I said, it was a mistake or it was a lapse in judgment. And we try to put a pretty face on sin because we don't want to truly see sin for what it is. And until we truly understand the exceeding sinfulness of sin, then we're going to keep walking into those consequences and seeing the ripple effects go out. But thankfully, even though this story ends with Achan and his family's destruction, our story doesn't end there. Because number three, there's a remedy for sin. The first part of this remedy is, is, is repentance. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, Paul tells his audience that if they would repent, then their sins could be forgiven. Repent so that your sins can be forgiven. So whenever the Bible speaks of repentance, it assumes two things. The first thing that it assumes is that, that we are agreeing with God about our sin. That's what the New Testament word confession means. It means literally to say the same thing. And so we are saying about our sin what God says about our sin. So what does God say about our sin? Oh, that was a lapse of judgment. That's okay. Just a moment of weakness. No, he said it's sinful. And when we agree with God, when we confess to God, I have sinned, we are moving into repentance. And the second thing that repentance assumes is that then we will reject that sin and turn away from it. The word repent literally means to turn, to think differently, to go a different direction. It means to put the sin behind us and go away from it. And so the remedy for sin begins with repentance, saying to God, I have sinned, and God, I am going to forsake my sin. And then the second part of the remedy for sin is grace. Grace is trusting in Christ and in his, in his work. In Romans 6, 23, we saw it earlier, the opposite of God's judgment on sin, the wages of sin is death, is the free gift of God, which is life. That's what grace means. It means it's a free gift. It shows up in our story when we compare Rahab, remember a couple of weeks ago, or a couple, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, Rahab, to, to Achan. Rahab had no right or claim to be spared from God's judgment. But she looked to the goodness and the mercy of God for her deliverance, and she found it. While we deserve to be judged for sin, God in his grace has made a way for us to be pardoned through what Jesus had, has done. So in response, we're going to do something tonight that Christians have done for almost 2,000 years. You may be like me and come from a tradition that doesn't have a lot of liturgy, and so this may be something kind of new and strange to you. Some of you will go, well, I grew up on this. This makes perfect sense. Tonight, we're going to go through the liturgy or the practice of confessing our sin, hearing God's word of pardon for us in the gospel, and then acknowledging and celebrating that truth as we take communion. So while we go through this, I want you to take the communion elements, just hold them, just hold them in your hand, because I want you to feel the tangible uh, reminder of the truths that we are embracing. 
So to begin with, I want you to listen to the words of confession from King David. Remember I mentioned about King David's sin? When he was confronted with his sin, he wrote Psalm 51. Listen to the words. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. And I want us to take a couple of minutes and I want you to quietly, privately confess to God whatever sin he's brought up into your mind and into your heart. Agree with God about it. Say to God, I have sinned and bring it to him. So just take another minute or so and just confess your sins. I want you to to read this confession out loud with me. It's in the first person. So it is I am confessing my sin. But I want us to read it together. I want us to read it out loud because I want you to hear everyone around you is in the same place that you are. We have all sinned. We're all broken. So read this confession with me. Merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart and mind and strength. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. In your mercy, forgive what I have been, help me amend what I am, and direct what I shall be so that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name through Christ my Lord. Amen. Now let's move to our pardon. Hear the promise of pardon that we have in the gospel from Isaiah chapter 53, talking about Christ. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So hearing that good news, I want you to declare out loud together with me in faith what David wrote in Psalm 32. So say this out loud with me. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, 
whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And with that declaration of faith on our lips, let's eat the bread and drink the cup in remembrance and celebration of our forgiveness through the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. Family, will you stand with us? Sing my favorite verse of it is well with my soul. My sin, pause, revelation. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious Thank you. 
to stand in a room and revel in the mercies of our God in the midst of our sin together. May we have a heart that cries to do this more often, to come together with the people of God and rejoice in his goodness because without it, we are nothing. I just wanna leave you with a verse from Luke. This is the prophecy over John the Baptist regarding preparing the way for Jesus Christ. It says, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. King Jesus, guide our feet into the path of peace as each body, friend, family member walks out of this room tonight. 
guide their path in peace away from the shadow of death and into the light that your mercy, your tender mercy brings. We love you. We need you. Amen. We'll see you next week, Mosaic.